Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about sadistic partners, why people choose the hurt, the ones they love. You know, it's impossible, literally impossible to go through life without causing hurt to those people we love. We may have to do this for their own good, for instance, when we need to be firm with the child we believe is in, in, engaged in destructive behaviors. We may inflict pain on another person when we need to do what is right for us, such as leaving a relationship. We might even be projecting our own pain on our partner and making our partner gaslight and feel like they're responsible for how we feel. You know, most, most of us feel bad about inflicting hurt and might, you know, stay in situations way too long for the fear of hurting our loved ones. But some people go through life causing a wrecking ball of hurt to other people, including their romantic partners and even their own children. And I hear this every single day that I work that, you know, they might fall under the label of narcissistic or borderline personality. But putting the labels to one side is really important. Why do people repeatedly hurt other people in this way? Number one, there's a sign of what causes this, and there are a lot of people out there that are very analytical and very low on empathy. Some people have no empathy for others. Some people have low empathy for others. They may have a hard time walking in someone else's shoes, and, and they can't see other people's perspective, and they're actually unaware of the hurt they cause other people and don't know that it's thoughtlessness uh, to, to, to not follow up on regarding a sick relative or being flaky when it comes to meeting up, you know, to things that cause hurt to other people. You know, a lot of people have trouble taking any accountability for themselves and the damage they do whatsoever. Things that might hurt you might not hurt them. And so they have a hard problem identifying with alternative experiences outside of their own little world. And when you're on the receiving end of this with someone close, it can be unbelievably frustrating. So the good news, if it really does you know, come down to the lack of understanding instead of maliciousness, and your partner is willing to change, you can work on ways to improve communication and set ground rules for what is and what is not acceptable behavior on your part. But you've got to remember, you know, if you're in a relationship, you have to remember that you're in the relationship with someone because of how you felt about them. You are in a relationship with your children and they're on this planet because how you felt about them. And so it is really important that if you want to have any type of meaningful relationships in your life, including in your marriage, the number one ingredient that you have to exhibit for your partner and your partner's perception of you and your children's perception of you or your loved one's perception of you is empathy and compassion for their perception of you. You might think you're one thing, but their perception of you might be something different. 
And if you spend your whole life trying to correct other people for what their perceptions are, you're going to find that you're always wrong. And so it's really important for people to understand the value of compassion and empathy because the legacy of your life, when you croak off for this planet and you leave memories behind, those memories have meaning. And when they have meaning, that means they have compassion and feelings and all bunch of other emotions. But if there's nothing in the transactions you've left in this life emotionally, you're going to find that your life had no meaning, is meaningless. So if you're going to walk around like an intelligent robot who doesn't have any idea how to connect with people, you're going to find that you are going to be lacking in compassion and shame, and you're going to have very rocky relationships your whole life. You know, self-dislike is another reason that people tend to be negative with other people. When people don't like themselves, they don't have a relationship with themselves. They don't know how to love yourself. If you love yourself, the simple ingredient to self-love is learning how to say no to things that hurt you, having what's called integrity. Really important. No matter how good of, of a front you put on, you are likely to protect this dislike into others, uh, particularly if the self-dislike stems from an abusive relationship which you've experienced in the past and you have taken in that dialogue of abuse towards you and integrated it into you, meaning that you are spending your life proving what a negative failure you are as a narrative. And if you keep collecting a narrative about who you are that's biased based on your abuse or your research of yourself, you're gonna find that you're going to eventually believe that narrative and only want to hear that narrative, and then eventually that will dictate the outcomes of your relationships for the rest of your life. You know, if you're with someone who's driven to cause hurt because of self-dislike and you want to stay with them, they must get help for their own issues. If they don't get help, they'll keep on repeating the same patterns because they're gonna project on you everything that they refuse to take accountability for within themselves. You know, low self-esteem is another reason that we find people loving to hurt people that they love. You know, when people place a low value on themselves, this is essentially what low self-esteem is. So they may be unaware of how hurtful their actions are to other people. So let's say it's your tune to host a, a holiday, and it's important for you and your family to doesn't value herself and doesn't know how important it is that she makes arrangements to visit, you know, uh, uh, you. And so she may not show up. And so what happens there? Well, it's quite possible that she has low self-esteem. She feels that maybe she's gained weight. Maybe she doesn't look good. Maybe she doesn't want to spend time with the grandchildren because she's in a bad mood. Whatever it is, maybe she's ill. Maybe she's got all kinds of problems. But that self-esteem gets projected into situations where taking on responsibility for holidays, for great times with our family. We have to rise above our own self-dialogue and actually join our families and not bring them down, but also bring them up. Why don't you change your negative 
perceptions, your negative narrative about yourself into a positive narrative and see what happens and do bias research on a positive narrative because for every negative thing, there's probably five good things about you. And so what's really important is we want to focus on what we are good at. That doesn't mean we ignore what we're not good at or what we're not equipped for, but it does mean that we want to take responsibility for what we're not equipped for and not avoid it and just bury ourselves in low self-esteem. You know, some people also have agendas. Often people hurt others unintentionally, but sometimes people deliberately set out to hurt each other. And if your partner puts you down in front of other people's, it may make them feel superior. So if they treat you worse than anybody else in the world, you see them being nice to people they don't even know, and all of a sudden they turn around and talk to you as if you're some one-year-old child who needs to be scorned. You know, the, the problem is, is that if they're putting you in a role where they're parenting you, that means that they are trying to have power over you. That means they're trying to demonstrate to anyone around them, including your children, how much less you are. And when they do that, they're also demonstrating that they have low self-esteem too. You know, if they criticize you, if they name call, put you down for your achievements, don't even recognize your achievements, it may make them feel like they have power within the relationship because they know you're yearning for that from them, but they don't give it to you. And you're yearning uh, to, to be recognized for the good and they just won't give it to you. And that is because they won't give it to themselves. You know, if you want to be in a weakened position that you and, and you want to become dominant, the one way to do that is to keep trying to bully people. You know, it's like a dog with a squeaky toy. If a dog chews on a squeaky toy, they will chew it and likely tell the chewy, the, the, the squeaky comes out because they want to demonstrate how powerful they are. Well, it's the same thought for a bully. Bullies want power, so they want to get you to squeak. They want you to squeal. They want you to wince. They want you to feel hurt. They want you to feel defensive. They want to get you angry. They want to control your emotions. And as long as they do that, they're getting that squeak out of you and makes them feel powerful. Sadly, if you did not respond to them, if you just pulled away and did not give them what they wanted, guess what? They would look like a fool and you would have the power. That means you don't respond to idiots. You don't respond to people that are bullies. If you don't respond to them, you don't give them power. Just walk away and tell them you feel sorry for them. You know, if you become aware that your partner is engaging in the t types of behaviors that, that uh, we've talked about earlier, it's important to raise these issues with your partner and ask them to seek help. You know, there's a thing called transactional analysis and communication. What that means is there's three components to each person, a parent, an adult, and a child, a parent, an adult, and a child two sides, two different people communicating. If one comes in the door and says, you didn't do the dishes. You told me you were gonna do this, 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 this. I can't believe you did this. You're so lazy, blah, 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 blah. What they're doing is they're deciding to parent the child in someone else. And if you're gonna decide to do that, especially to a, an, a, a grown adult, what's going to happen is that adult is going to reach down to their child and parent you for all the things you don't take accountability for. Well, how about when you didn't pick me up this morning? What about when you did this? Did you think about that? You know, so what we do is we bounce back and forth and that's called crosstalk. Crosstalk is not very healthy because it goes parent to child, parent to child, both 
ways. And so each other is punching each other out basically as if each other is a child and a parent. And nothing ever gets solved because neither will listen. Both are trying to be right. If you want to do adult-to-adult conflict, adult conflict is very, very simple. You go straight, flat, don't use a lot of inflection, don't use a lot of verbosity, don't use a lot of body language, and you basically say, you know, I was really disappointed that you didn't do the dishes this morning. That means I've got to do them tonight. I've got a paper to write. I've got this to do. I was hoping we could partner better than this. Okay, there's conflict. It's adult conflict. We do it at work. Can you do it at home? If you did it at home, you would not have as much defensiveness. You would have more respect for each other. You would team better. Speak to your demotion, your emotions. Don't demonstrate them. Stop doing Broadway productions. And if you're going to do a Broadway production or turn it into an opera, and both of you are going to walk away angry and feeling unheard, then what you want to do is call a time out which be about one year or one minute for every year of each other's lives. And if you average it out, uh, you know, maybe 40 minutes, maybe 30 minutes and come back, call the time back and be the adults. Let's do this right. So we hear each other. Okay. I know we're upset. Let's cool down. Let's come back and do this as adults and respect each other. You know, if you become aware that your partner's engaging in behaviors that hurt you, you know, sometimes they enjoy inflicting pain. And some people enjoy the process of hurting other people. And again, this usually stems from deeply disturbed, potential abusive childhood. And, and they may be acting out the things that have taken place in their own life. And by doing this, they're becoming the perpetrator, trying to understand why they were abused as a child, and in turn, uh, manifesting abuse upon someone else, which generationally continues down the path. You know, uh, uh, some people feel like they have to get even. You know, inflicting pain may be a distraction from their own pain, a way of getting even for things which have happened to them, a way to feel something deeply in a way which makes sense to them, given their past circumstances. You know, try, tied to gaining control or weakening you, inflicting you can feel like a heady experience, gaslighting you as if you're less than. Uh, it is a form of arrogance, and it's really sad. But people do this to themselves all the time, continuously, gaslighting the other person as if they're responsible for the problem that the other person is actually responsible for. They also, uh, because some people find that they're attracted to you because they can easily hurt you. You wear your feelings on your uh, shirt sleeve. And so basically they see that and a narcissist is going to love that because they're going to train you and groom you to be the codependent on them. And so they're going to basically tear you down, put you up, tear you down, put you up and groom you into loving them. And you're trying to go, oh, I know I'm just too an emotional person. I can't be that person. Well, maybe you are an emoter. Maybe you are uh, an empath. Maybe you have uh, uh, feelings that are very strong. But the bottom line is maybe that narcissist is not good for you because they know it and they know that's your Achilles heel and they love to take power over you by making you exhibit those emotions, especially in a negative way, so that the narcissist will never feel responsible for anything bad that happens. You know, that can be hard to swallow to know that you're with a narcissist uh, or a borderline personality, which is even worse. Um, 
you know, but we we don't choose people by accident. Subconsciously, we choose people who fit in with our unconscious understanding of the world. And if your partner is someone who inflicts hurt on other people for all the above reasons, they may have chosen you because they see you as someone who will respond appropriately to their behavior. Just as your partner might repeatedly attract people that they he can they can hurt, you might uh, be attracted to the relationship where you are hurt because maybe that's how you were groomed when you grow up, that you were groomed to be abused and that's what you're used to and that's home to you because that's what you grew up in. If that's the case, it's easier to fall in love with a narcissist because they're more than happy to hurt you. They don't think they are. They think they're perfect. They think they're the greatest person in the world, but sadly, they're some of the most destructive people in the world. You know, just as your partner might repeatedly attract people who they can hurt, you find yourself attracted to them. And so you grow up with a parent who's abused towards you, whether emotionally or physically, and then you may be attracted to a partner who acts in the same way. You know, someone can only be hurtful to you if you're prepared to play your part. If you have a history of being in a relationship where someone intentionally hurts you, you seek out help for your own issues and get treatment for that as best as you possibly can so that you can be objective to that behavior and call it out and understand it so you don't submit your life to those kind of people. Nobody deserves to be in a relationship with someone who hurts you. If their actions are coming from a place of low empathy, low self-esteem, uh, you know, sociopath, uh, a psychopath, a narcissist, a borderline personality. Borderline personalities are very moody and foul-tempered, and they take on arguments of all kinds of different people just in order for themselves to always feel right. They always feel like they are the one that's the victim. Narcissists always feel like they are the victim. And they will defend themselves greatly because they are the victim. Sociopaths, psychopaths feel they're a victim of society. So they take their anger out on society. You know, there's people like that in this world. And we have to be very careful not to introduce those kind of people into our lives. You know, working with someone who enjoys inflicting pain, who hurts you as a means of gain and control can be far more challenging. And you should ensure that you receive the help and support you need in making decisions whether to remain with this type of person in a relationship. You know, it's it's practically impossible to go through life without hurting people, you know. Uh, uh, and so we have to understand that, that perhaps that hurt can create a lot of problems. One of the ways that we uh, uh, have is different types of styles. You know, uh, some people want to uh, gain control as protection. Perhaps people hurt you when they're were in control in the past. So you decide never to relinquish control in any future relationships. And so you're always trying to dictate outcomes. You're always trying, trying to do consequential thinking. You're always trying to catastrophize in order to prepare for the worst. That's not living. Life is leaps of faith. We take leaps of faith. That's what we do. It's all what life is. We don't control outcomes unless you want to be psychotic. You know, the more you try to move yourself towards perfection, the more you are turning yourself into uh, having a psychotic break. The more we need perfection in our life, the more we move towards psychosis. And that is the sad truth. What we really want to do is try to give life as much as it needs. 
not more, not less. We want to stay in the healthy place of as much as life needs in each situation, as much energy as needed in each situation, not more, not less. That should be our goal. That's where healthy is. If we're going to try to perfect an unperfect being like ourselves, we are going to go into psychosis, and psychosis finds itself in depression, anxiety, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and on and on and on and on and on. Also, uh, panic attacks. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. That's a person who's trying to be perfect. That's not what we're here to do. We are here to experientially learn. Experientially learn. Okay, we're going to go for a quick break and we're going to come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. We're talking about sadistic partners and why people choose to hurt the ones they love. You know... um, Sometimes people have a fear of being vulnerable and you never want to be at the mercy of people because you've had your way all at times and you refuse to respect other people's boundaries. And so we make a life of keeping ourselves on the offensive rather than the defensive. So criticism, name calling, judging, putting your partner down or some of the hurtful things that may may do, guilt tripping, gaslighting, manipulation, emotional blackmail are indirect means of gaining control. So you may do some of these things without thinking much about them, especially if you've been conditioned to accept the treatment from other people that you theoretically have loved you and you have loved. You know, some people have the nature of intimate relationships is often determined by people's 
attachment styles. Perhaps a child you learn to love in a specific way when you, your close relationships are intertwined with pain and hurt, especially from parents. You know, what's really interesting is there are real parents in this world. There's semi-good parents, and all you really can be as a parent is good enough. You're never going to be perfect. But then there's also breeding stock, and breeding stock pretty much doesn't do anything. They either are hurtful, selfish, manipulative, and stick around and cause pain in your life because that's all they know how to do, and that's the pain that they live in, whether it's drinking or drugs or just being you know, ill-tempered. But the bottom line is we have to watch out for the damage that these people can cause children and can cause in a marriage because that will go on for the rest of those that child's life. They are going to have to assimilate into society with all these horrible uh, uh, you know, breeding stock behaviors. And breeding stock are not often the most well-behaved. You know, breeding stock are breeding stock. They love to breed, but they don't like responsibility. You know, the, to, to, to cope with hurt caused by a lack of affection, children have to find ways to suppress their needs. So as adults, they may be interested in romantic relationships, but prefer to uh, suppress their emotions. So they do want to be with somebody, but they don't want to offer them much emotion. So they come off as dismissive. They often label their partners as needy, childish, dramatic for asking for affection. And when left unchecked, those behaviors become toxic. You have to have boundaries with people like that. You know, and there's a classic example of a hurt person hurting others. You may be isolating yourself from your partner because that is what you have been conditioned to do from childhood, to isolate yourself from your parents. But the bottom line is, if you're going to have a relationship without empathy, without compassion, without understanding, without good communication, you may as well not be in the relationship. It's crazy to live that way, to live without any sense of empathy or compassion for your wife, your husband, your children, whomever. Hurting the ones you love happens when you tend to ruin things, even when they're going well. And that's a thing called self-sabotage. And there are many reasons for that, including unresolved childhood trauma and fears. So if you link intimacy to negative experiences in your past, you tend to portray a push and pull behavior. And that the closer you get to people, the more you pull away. And so you might have committed uh, uh, issues being extremely critical of someone or blame them for all your relationship problems. For example, your partner may point out an issue in your relationship that needs fixing. And in response, you tell them that there's nothing wrong and this is overreacting. So they move the cheese. They may talk about finances of something you did financially when you're trying to take them be make them be accountable for how they're treating you. And then they go to find it. Well, you bought this without my permission. Blah, 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 blah. So they go on and on in their own personal crap and they, they move the cheese so they never have to take accountability. You know, the fact is we do self-sabotage. Why do we self-sabotage? And that is one thing that we learn that if we have great victories in our life, that takes on great responsibilities. And so what that means is we have to get off our butt and not be lazy. You know, anything hard in this life makes your life easier. But people that self-sabotage are afraid of hard because they're afraid of responsibility. People who hurt others sometimes do it because they've gotten comfortable enough to, to be their true selves. You know, I always say you never know who you marry until you divorce them. That's when you really find out what you got married to. And it's this selfish, erratic, horrible 
individual. And that's what you tend to find once you break up with people. You know, the, the trust and the safe paradox, trusting people more means being your true self around them. And sometimes your true self is not the nicest version of you. But let's just take it from a, a different perspective. Let's talk about, let's say, Christianity. You know, the way you treat your partner on earth is actually the same formula for how we trust God and have a relationship with God. And so if we go from that idea, how you treat your partner is actually a measurement for how you feel about God. And so when you're thinking about how I treat my partner, that's how your relationship is with God. And so there's an ultimate accountability. You know, there's people, if you if you go to any church, and we're talking about faith, and I'm not going to get off of this because I'm not a minister, but the bottom line is, is about 85% of the people who go to church have faith in God, and they'll reach out to God when they're in pain and when something difficult happens. They'll pray for other people. They'll do things periodically that are very spiritual. But the bottom line is about 10% actually have faith in God. And that means that they know how to trust God, that they're not in charge. God's in charge. Their job is to go. Go. Just do it. And then God will carry you. That is the Christian lifestyle. That is how we live in a partnership, in a relationship. We go and we have each other's back. And we look out for each other on earth. And we think for each other on earth. That is what we are to do for each other. But if we cannot do that and we're self-centricated, that we're thinking of only ourselves, what's going to happen is we are not going to live well in a relationship. We may just do better on our own. You know, some people hurt people because they let them hurt them. And that may be problematic, but it's true. Yes, your inner child, which is a child where you froze when you were abused, you're actual emotions come from that place when you're an inner child. So whenever you are criticized, let's say, you may become defensive as a little child because that's what was happened to you at six years old. So your behavior at, let's say, 40 becomes that of a six-year-old. I am not, you know, you know, acting like a six-year-old. So, um, you know, when you have an inner child that behaves in the way of you being six years old, 12 years old, 16 years old, whenever you were abused, if you don't reparentify that inner child, you are going to come from that, le that, that childish place. People see that and bullies and people that are nasty and people that love control will pick on that part of you. They will actually pick on that little inner child to make you uh, blow up and basically demonstrate how weak you are. And that happens in relationships, believe it or not. You know, the fear of intimacy is also a big problem. You know, getting into a relationship is easy, but some people struggle with letting themselves be deeply known by others. So you might think of yourself so flawed that you never want anyone to know that side of you. So you might deflect attention from yourself and create what's called your shadow self. That would be uh, Carl Jung. And the shadow self is what we don't want other people to see. It, it always follows us. But And it's oftentimes seen by other people, but we never want to see our own shadow. And so we might deflect attention from that uh, by, you know, uh, avoiding getting close to other people. We may not want to be called out on our inner child. We may not want to be called out on our, our, our shadow. So we basically go into denial as if it's not there. 
However, everyone else knows that it is there. You know, there's also people that avoid codependency and you might hurt other people because you feel suffocated by their affection and attention. And you might enjoy spending time with them, but still need to isolate yourself occasionally. In some relationships, your partner might depend on you for emotional and physical needs, which can be overwhelming. And to get your independence back, you might do and say hurtful things to assert your own space, and you're that pushing that other person away. So let's say someone... Uh, love language is an, an intimacy, and your love language is giving gifts. So you'll probably want to give them gifts to make up for all the times you're not intimate for them. And so the problem is if you're going to marry somebody and starve them of their love language, which is a need, an emotional need, not a want, if you're going to starve them of that, somebody's going to come along and go, oh, you like physical – let me give you a hug. Let me do – okay, well, then all of a sudden they might strike up an emotional relationship with that person because they're feeling a need that their partner is too stubborn, too arrogant, and wanting to push away because I'm not good at that. And so they starve the other partner of those emotional areas, and that partner becomes vulnerable and jumps into an affair, and now everybody's life is destroyed. So some people are impulsive. And they like to hurt others' feelings because it, it becomes a habit. You might speak or act impulsively to offend other people. Sometimes you do it because you 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 get you get away with it. Sometimes you call it being funny when it's not. Sometimes it's just being downright mean and sarcastic, you know. But you know, if you're going to hurt people because you're impulsive, that may be uh, a, a great in some situations where your sense of humor uh, comes out. But the bottom line is, if you're going to make fun of other people and you're going to tease other people, you're better off teasing yourself and calling your own self out on your own stupidity. If we did that, we'd have a much better sense of humor than if we're taking other people and putting them down. You know, if you hurt people because of all these other things that we've talked about, admitting your mistakes is commendable. Hurting people we love doesn't allow us to establish authentic connections, and it may ruin our relationships. But there are some things that you can do to avoid it. Work with a counselor. Work with your partner in a way that you improve your communication with each other. Help each other out. Offer intimacy, real intimacy. Offer real emotional connection, real empathy, real compassion. Can you do that? Can you actually be in the moment you're in rather than in your past and in your future? Can you just be here? Some people can't. Some people cannot actually just be here. They are in the future and in the past trying to protect themselves. But that's called coping. That's not called living, but a lot of people live that way. When hurt, when people get hurt in a relationship and do not receive healing, they have a logical, defensible tendency to become protective against more pain. And that's called resentment. And they form resentments over time that they may or may not communicate and eventually those resentments find them way into the bedroom, find them way into the, the communication, find their way into their behaviors towards each other, to find their way into helping each other or not helping each other, finding their way into blocking memories that we could have together but can't because we have so much resentment. It is so easily to, to, to live our life in resentment because there's so many human things that we can find out about each other as a narrative about what each other is. The problem is, when we're in relationships, we love to label. We love to label to simplify everything. Everything's black and white. And when everything's black and white, it's really easy to make calls and make decisions. But no, 
life, relationships, people are not black and white. They are gray, and you got to go deeper. You got to. There's good and good and bad in all of us. You know, if you want to be uh, what's been forgotten in this civilization in this day and age is tribalism is what we live in, where everybody makes a case against each other, but the, and then treats each other as if they are that. But the bottom line is there is more good in every person than there is bad. There is more good. Your job is to find the good. Find out what you have in common rather than to just eat away at what you don't have in common. If you want to live a good life, you have to learn how to be grateful for anyone, anywhere, in any place, whether you agree with them or not, at least reach out to their ability to be a human because there's always going to be some common ground. But if you're going to make a life with somebody who likes to hurt people and you're going to make your children live with somebody who lo loves to hurt them, then what you're doing is you're scarring those children for life. And you need to be really careful who you decide to breed with because when you do that, you're taking on all their good and all their bad. And, if, and, and that means your children are going to carry that too. And how you're treated is going to be how they likely treat their partner in this life. So, you know, if we're going to sit around defending our hearts rather than actually empathetically learning and experientially learning about life, we are going to never grow. And so, you know, if we're going to de defend ourselves from pain through resignation, so we just sit back and become passive aggressive. So that means that we, we're, we're death by a thousand knives, that eventually we're going to be like that teapot that heats up and blows. When it hits that certain temperature, it's going to blow, but it's some stupid little thing that happens, some little disrespect that happens, not listening or doing somebody, you know, doing some petty little thing but it's a part of the bigger theme that you've collected over time because you've sat back and never said anything and then you look like a monster because you're out there trying to assert your boundaries over some little stupid thing and now you're the crazy one so sitting back and just stuffing it is never going to work you're going to be out of balance you're going to be resentful you're going to withdraw and there's going to be a lot of pain in that relationship and nobody knows why also if we defend ourselves through a through defiance that tells us that we have an inner child that is not healed that means that people will defy just to defy that's what angry teenagers do if you tell a teenager you're going to do this you have to be at home at this time and that's it you give them no options they're going to rebel against you because they don't want to be told they want to choose and that's how people are they want choices if you're going to just be this person that dictates anybody's choices in life you're going to be rebelled against and that's just the way it goes and unfortunately that inner child in us is by nature uh rebellious and it likes freedom and uh, it likes to be responsible for itself and even if what you're telling them to do is healthy they still will rebel against you simply because you told them what to do. All right, we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back and talk more about these sadistic partners. Come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. 
Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about sadistic partners, why people choose to hurt the ones they love. You know, humans are the glory and the scum of the universe. (laughs) And that that was uh, a quote from, actually, uh, Blase Pascal in 1658. And, you know, the truth is, little has changed. We love and we loathe and we help and we harm and we reach out a hand and we stick the knife in the back. That's just how life works. We understand if someone lashes out in retaliation or self-defense, but when someone harms the harmless, we ask, how could you do that? You know, humans typically do things to get pleasure or avoid pain. And for most of us, hurting others causes us to feel their pain. And we don't like this feeling. This suggests that people harm the harmless. Either they don't feel the other's pain or they enjoy feeling the other's pain. You know, another reason people harm the harmless is because they nonetheless see a threat. So someone who doesn't imperil your body or or wallet can still threaten your social status. This helps explain, you know, puzzling actions such as when people harm others to help them uh, who who help them financially. Someone who gets pleasure from hurting and humiliating others is a sadist. And this is chronically one of the great features horrible features, I meant that sarcastically, of the borderline personality. They're very sadistic. They love to hurt others. They love to take people down. You know, statists feel other people's pain more than is normal, and they enjoy it, or at least they they do until it's over, and when they may feel bad afterwards. You know, the popular imagination associates Satan with torturers and murderers, yet there is also the less extremely more widespread phenomenon of everyday sadism, which finds itself in narcissism, in, in, in psychopaths, in sociopaths, in borderline personalities. But in all people, there are some sadistic features, you know, uh, uh, 
everyday sadists, pleasure from hurting others, watching them suffer. They're likely to enjoy gory films, find fights exciting, torture interesting, and they are rare, but not rare enough. Around 6% of, uh, of, of people in the world truly have sadistic features in their life. Unlike sadists, psychopaths don't harm the harmless simply because they get pleasure from it. Psychopaths want things. If harming others helps them get what they want, so be it. And they can act this way because they are less likely to feel pity, remorse, or fear. They are more likely able to just objectify any human being. And their emotions are not important to them. Their pleas may be important to them, but their emotions are not important to them. And, and so they can they can work out what others are feeling, but get they don't get infected by those feelings themselves. So they like interjecting horrible things into people's lives and see what happens, see what plays out. You know, I have a feeling that a sick sadist is what's taken over this country and done all the damage of the last two years that has torn this country and the United States apart. Some sadistic people out there have done some enormously damaging things to the people in this world. And those sadistic people who created the virus, sadists, are enjoying the fact that millions of people have died. And it's sad. And they celebrate themselves, these people. And they lead us because that gives them more power. So you have to understand that the sadistic stuff is very dangerous because you put a sadist in charge and a sadist is going to do what sadists do, which is objectify people and turn people into objects and then watch them suffer because that's what they love to do. You know, we need to know if we encounter a psychopath. We can make good guesses simply by looking at someone's face or, or briefly interacting with them. Unfortunately, psychopaths no, we know this. They fight back working hard to create an image, a grooming, a style, a great first impression. But underneath it, they are ugly, green, nasty monsters. Thankfully, most people have no psychopathic traits. There's only a dot five percent of people that could be deemed psychopaths. Yet around 8% of male, 2% of female prisoners are actual psychopaths. But not all psychopaths are dangerous. Antisocial psychopaths may seek thrills from drugs or dangerous activities. They, they like the adrenaline stuff, and so they may take it out on themselves. However, pro-social psychopaths seek thrills in featureless, fearless pursuit of novel ideas and innovations that shape our societies. Pro-social psychopaths can change the world for all of us into their own sick little experiment. You know, no one really knows why some people are sadistic. Some people speculate sadism is an adaptation that helped us slaughter animals when hunting. Others propose it helped people gain power. Uh, Machiavelli uh, uh, basically suggested that the times, the men, not the men, create disorder. Consistent with this, neuroscience suggests that sadism could be a more survival tactic triggered by times becoming tough. So when certain foods become scarce, our levels of neurotransmitter uh, serotonin fall, and this makes us more willing to harm others because harming becomes more pleasurable. Psychopathy may also be an adaptation. Some studies have linked higher levels of psychopathy to greater fertility, yet others have found the opposite. The reason for this may be that psychopaths have a reproductive advantage specifically in harsh environments. 
And so psychopaths linked to creativity may also explain this. Like a mathematician, Eric Weinstein has argued that more generally that, that disagreeable people drive innovation. Yet if your environment supports creative thinking, disagreeableness is less strongly linked to creativity. The nice can be novel. And so some people need what are called power managers, power leaders. They come in and they literally will destroy the environment and the people that they work around to create something different. And corporations depend on these people to come in and make great change, huge changes, that, at, at the, despite of what it does to other people. And so they bring those people in and then they bring in what's called the educational manager to settle everything down and settle everybody back in. And so unfortunately, these people, these sadists are actually used in our society to create change. And those traits are a dark factor of our personality. And there's a moderate to large hereditary component in these traits. So some people may just be born that way. You know, uh, some parents pass these traits on to their children uh, by behaving abusively towards them. And similarly, seeing uh, others behave with that uh, uh, sadistic uh, feature teaches us to act this way. But we all have a role to play in reducing cruelty. And if we could do that, we might have a better world. Sadism involves enjoying another person's humiliation, another person's hurt. And it's often said that dehumanizing people allows us to be cruel. Potential victims are labeled as dogs or lice or cockroaches, allegedly uh, making it easier for others to label them and hurt them. And there's something to this because research shows that if someone breaks a societal norm, our brains treat their faces as less human. This makes it easier for us to punish people who violate the norms of behavior. And, and it's, a, a, it's a nice sentiment to think that if we see people, uh, someone as a human, and, and then we won't hurt them. And this is also a dangerous delusion because uh, the worst cruelties may rest on not dehumanizing people. People may hurt others precisely because they recognize them as human beings and they exacerbate their frailties. You know, sometimes people even harm the people, uh, harm the helpful. Imagine you're playing an economic game in which you and others have the chance to invest in a group fund. The more money is paid into it, the more it pays out. And then the fund will pay out money to all people, whether they have invested or not. And so some people at the end of the game, you can, you can, pay, uh, you can pay to punish other players for how much they chose to invest. And to do so, you give up some of your earnings and money is taken away from the player of your choice. In short, you can be spiteful. People are spiteful. If they feel like you've taken advantage of them, they will try to take advantage of you. And the phenomenon is called a do-gooder derogation. And it can be found around the world. In hunter-gatherer societies, successful hunters are criticized for catching a big animal, even though their catch means everyone gets more meat. You know, it, it, it's because of our encounter with counter-dominant tendencies. Less generous player in the economic game may feel that a more generous player will be seen by others as the, the preferable person. And so they may uh, tend to put down that generous person and try to put them in their place in order for them to get the power in the investment. And so they may actually turn the do-gooder into somebody who may not be a do-gooder because uh, they may change the motive that they've decided to represent that do-gooder as. And so it's just an amazing 
what our brains can do with sadism. You know, cruelty allows a teacher to, to, to burn a critique into other people. And that comes from Nietzsche, by the way, uh, Frederick Nietzsche. And, and for other persons' own good, people, people could be cruel to themselves to help become the person that they wanted to be. Nietzsche felt that suffering, cruelty, could help develop courage, endurance, and creativity, and, and should be more willing to make both others and ourselves suffer to develop virtue. Well, in that, that's called your will. That means you're being challenged to rise above and become resilient. And that is how some people can learn to do hard things because they've had to fight through difficult, uh, sadistic, horrible circumstances created by other people. You know, teaching through cruelty, if you follow Nietzsche, invites abuses of power, uh, selfish sadism. Yet Buddhism offers an alternative, wrathful compassion. Here we act from love to confront others, to protect them from their greed, from their hatred, from their fear. Life can be cruel, truth can be cruel, and we can choose not to be cruel. You know, imagine that you're an alien visitor, and, and your primary goal is to learn about humans. And so you read human books, you watch human movies, plays, television, you visit museums to learn about human history. And in your report back to wherever your world is, you know, you're probably going to write that humans are violent. You know, history, history is war surrounded by utter boredom. That's human history. War surrounded by utter boredom. That, that's it. That, that, that encompasses who we are as human beings. War is entertainment for us. You know, people actually enjoy hurting each other. Even Sigmund Freud mused about the possibility that people can der derive pleasure from aggressive acts. Um, he would call that your sexuality. As a part of our sexuality, we play out routines in our sexuality of dominance and submissiveness. And that's kind of sick in many ways, but that's where some intimacy can come from because we allow someone to dominate. And if they safely dominate, the person that's not being that is being dominated uh, may find a sense of natural trust and, and love for the person who dominated and allowed them to be safe. You know, when we treat our loved ones badly, it, it, we often feel guilty, uh, we feel shame, but we've got to understand that we also have to make it a call for accountability. We're not only accountable for what we do, but we're accountable for what we're perceived to have done. That doesn't mean we agree with it. But it does mean that we have to understand it and that we have to hear it and we have to understand that other people have a right to see things. And we acknowledge that as a part of our character. All right. That's our show. I want to thank you for listening. I love hearing from you. You can do that through our webpage on voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. We now have a Facebook and you can keep us running if you would like to make a contribution on our links page on our webpage at voiceamerica.com. And so remember, most professional trainers have a sadistic streak. And also, when kindness fails, a baseball bat will do just fine. Also, sadists should always wear a t-shirt that says, I'm sorry. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. 
Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 